Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. Don't stop. Please let you get with this. Honestly. I've gusset. I've absolutely gusset. I enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome on in, everybody. It is another edition of Mode Push, an American view of F1, the podcast where we talk all things F1 from the American perspective. Alex Curie, your host, your other host, Dan Jimenez, on the other side of the ether. Dan, thanks for hanging out, man. Good to see you. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, I would say it's race week because it normally would be. But here we are in the uh, rare moment of, and not to sound like, uh, you know, yes, it's bad that a race is uh, is is getting called off. The Imola race and uh, Emilia Romana Grand Prix uh, called off because of the flooding in the area there in uh, Italy, and uh, that whole region's getting hit really hard. So obviously, when you have the amount of emergency workers that you're going to require for a race like that, and listen, if Italy is going to cancel a race, then there is an emergency. <laughs> there is a state of emergency. <laughs> so um, you know, you talk about the amount of people that are needed for not race uh, support and not, you know, crowd support and things like that, like actual saving of lives in an area of the world that's being flooded, then obviously the decision to cancel the race was taken pretty well. One, they take it seriously, but also they did it pretty swiftly. I was glad to see. I know we all kind of go, well, shoot, you know, but we're also not experiencing the flooding. Yeah, they they couldn't have made the decision any later without it being even more inconvenient because – it, when we ran into this situation with Australia in 2020 around the COVID stuff, right? And then Spa with just the rain out that we had, I think it was 2021, that, you know, F1 didn't make the call. You know, they they kept going on with the race until the very last second. And so I think they learned those lessons from the past. And, yeah, it sucks to cancel a race. But when you see the footage, like the drone footage of the flooding of the paddock area, like there's like three feet of water, you know, there's... There's no racing this weekend, even aside from the fact that like it, like you said, it's a natural disaster. There's, you know, lives have been lost. There's, I think 5,000 people have been displaced from their homes. Like it's, it's a big deal. I, I, when I had first heard it, I was like, what rain really? And then when you start to look into the details, you're like, yeah, no, this is, this is definitely the right call. Well, if you go to, you can find enough. If you follow Alpha Tauri on uh, Twitter, finds is where the team is, uh, is based in Italy, right? And so this is a place where hundreds of their team members live there, right? They are right there. And so they they posted a ton of pictures. And if you wanted to know the amount of mud and rain and things that had run through the streets of Faenza, uh, Yuki Sonoda doing the cleanup in the town is not just a PR stunt. You can see the lines of water on the wall where it had come up to. And that's just no joke. And you just have no way to handle it. And so it was cool to see Yuki in some of these pictures shoveling out mud from some of these shops and uh, walking down the street and uh, getting a lot of that stuff going on there. So uh, speaking of Yuki, I read this whole article about how much of a, of a, uh, of a leader he's become on that team. And I thought, wow, going from the F bomb dropping uh, doesn't want to work out on, <laughs> on drive to survive kind of guy. I was like, I'm liking <laughs> Yuki more and more. And it's just like, I, I want this guy to keep performing outperforming, uh, you know, despite his car and, uh, 
Uh, and despite the fact that Nick DeVries, for some reason, we start throwing at, uh, under the bus really quickly. But uh, I saw that stuff from Yuki this week, and then I read this whole article about how the guy's like becoming a real leader. And I was like, good for Yuki. Yeah, that's awesome to see. He he's uh, easy to get behind as a fan, just because a big you know big personality and a small package, right? But he's uh, that's that's cool to see him getting involved there. I, I also saw like Formula One has donated a million dollars to the relief fund. Yeah. Um, so that's cool to see. And I'm, you know, everybody just pitching in because yeah. like you said, this is home, hometown for one of the teams. So it affects the te- the sport directly. Uh, Ferrari also throwing down a million euro, uh, to help out the cause as well. So, I mean, obviously if you're the Italian team and, uh, you think about the connections they have to the region and how many of the Tifosi are being affected by all this, uh, just over the last little bit is pretty, it's wild. You go look at the pictures and people are literally boating through, uh, you know, they, they've got the kayaks out and it's crazy too, because they have the kayaks out and they have the Ferrari flag up in the back of the kayak like that. There's no more Italian look than somebody going through a flood region with a Ferrari flag up, uh, on the back of their, uh, of their little kayaks. So, so there you go. Uh, I, I guess not having this race, everybody can shut up about how long the season's going to be, right? Like we've canceled China, we've canceled, uh, you know, Imola, and we talked about, man, this is such a long season. Now we're down to 22 races on the year. And it's uh, it's a pretty wild thing. So in terms of like actual updates to right now, to this week, where we would have already been talking about some of the results of uh, for, uh, free practices, things like that, uh, what are we to expect going forward now? Because they head to Monaco after this and... Uh, and, and we'll get into a Monaco breakdown a little bit longer or in a little bit in a little bit here, but and we'll be able to do it obviously going into next week. But what is like what is the shape of this season turn into now? Because I know teams are going to bring a lot of updates to Imola. Yeah, this shakes things up in a pretty big way. The Imola was since the start of the season the target for teams to bring upgrades, and then as we got into the season and teams like Mercedes realized how far behind they really were, then like it became very important um, what they were going to bring to Imola. Now we're not going to Imola; we're going to Monaco, and Monaco is a very different track. Where Imola was like Imola is like the average track that we would race at. Monaco is this extreme, like uh, just high downforce. Um, uh, track because it's just twisty turny um and so what we're going to see is that a lot of teams aren't going to bring the upgrades to monaco that they were going to bring to imola and that all gets punted to the week after for the spanish grand prix and uh so you know ferrari was going to bring a brand new rear suspension they're not going to bring that to monaco um you know a lot of these new parts they don't have in high quantities you might only have one set of new rear suspensions that you're going to bring to imola to, to try out and if you wreck that set, like you're going back to your old stuff. And so Monaco, it's, uh, you know, high uh, probability of hitting a wall. So people aren't <laughs> going to bring their their latest and greatest stuff. So uh, that's going to have to wait for the Spanish Grand Prix. The other big deal is that Imola was going to be the first race where they had these new tire rules. So they were going to bring allocate 11 tires instead of 13 tires to each of the teams. And the qualifying was going to have the rules where you had to qualify in Q1 on hards, in Q2 on mediums, and in Q3 on softs. So they were going to do that two times this year here in Hungary. Now it's not happening. we got to wait until Hungary, which is right before the summer break. So they might do it. Uh, they might pick another race to try that at uh, in the fall. But I, I was looking forward to that. I think that was going to be pretty interesting to see, um, you know, when you put everybody on hards in Q1, 
what does that do to the to the shakeup of of the times where instead of everybody going on softs and all three uh, sessions because they know they're you know not going to use the softs during the race. So I think that's that's the other thing that is kind of shaking things up. But uh, I'm looking forward to Monaco. Monaco's I going to be. Uh, and we'll get more into this into our race preview, but I think our best chance of a non Red Bull winner uh, of the season will be Monaco because Ooh. if 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 somebody can park themselves in front of Max and Sergio, Max and Sergio probably aren't getting around them. And that person is Fernando Alonso, right? Like, isn't that worth? Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, looking for El Plan, right? The uh, thirty-three, the Plan thirty-three, to see if that's coming together. What's wild is, is they you, you have those kinds of stupid goals, or I say stupid, but they have these kind of like things that you'll say of, oh, here's what we want to accomplish as a team. And if he does it like race six of the season, you go, oh my gosh, like he didn't even think this is going to happen. Uh, <laughs> so, of all the things that are happening this week, one of the things that we actually. Uh, are going to roll out right now is something really awesome because uh, Carlos Artiles Fortune, who is uh, one of the guys who you've heard on this podcast before, uh, he worked at NBC Sports for quite a bit of time, and he was uh, in that time he was able to meet a lot of uh, a lot of people, and one of those people is Sean Kelly, who if you don't follow him on Twitter, this is at Virtual Statman. Okay, that's what that's what you look him up, and this is a guy that, that, of course, a guy like Dan would be following and just kind of getting this kind of behind the scenes, behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. He's one of the hosts of the F one experiences um, on the grid. Like he travels with the entire F one crew to most of these races, and he is he got this gig. I don't know how you would explain it, uh, Dan. Is basically a guy who turned an obsession of stats into being a massive value. 20 of the international broadcasts use his stats on a weekly basis, and he now works for F1 doing that exact same thing, bringing stats to the broadcast and uh, basically feeding Crofty and uh, and whomever is in the in the booth with Crofty during the week and the F1 hosts and people across all of, of these different international broadcasts. And so uh, Carlos was able to sit down this week and uh after the after the Miami GP before they headed out to Imola which of course was ended up being canceled Carlos sat down and broke it down with the virtual stat man of F1 Sean Kelly take a listen right now as Carlos brings you this interview with Sean all right thank you so much uh, Alex and Dan I have right now with me one of my favorite people honestly favorite people that I met when I was working at NBC Sports uh, his name is Sean Kelly but he's better known as the stat man and I remember but even there at NBC, he's like, yeah, he's the, he's the stat man. He's, he just knows everything. So, Sean, uh, welcome to the show. How are you? I am very good. Thank you for inviting me onto the show. Yeah, of course. So um, let's start off just you know with, with where you are because we just finished the Miami Grand Prix. Um, and we were just talking to, uh, off camera, but like, do you travel right away or do you try to go home? Like, How do you manage you know, um, um, going back home or just going straight up to the next one, jet lag and everything? How, what are you doing right now? How do I manage it? With great difficulty is how I manage it because we've just had this fantastic setup where we had to go from Azerbaijan to Miami. Uh, so we all went out to Azerbaijan in what's basically Central Asia, former Soviet Republic, and then immediately flew to Miami. So we're all pretty jet lagged. Do you get to complain with like all the reporters or anyone like you're seeing? i like, man, this is just, you know, killing us. Well, I mean, I think uh, we're all, we all know collectively that oh this is tough you know we were all suffering from the same thing so we don't really need to explain it to each other um and then equally we know that we can't really complain about it 
out to anybody else because you know they'll, you'll, all you'll hear is the sound of the world's smallest violins being played for us. Oh, how terrible it is! Oh, you have to go to all these Formula One races. It must be awful. Yeah. Um, so you know, we all sort of we have no problems demonstrating that. Oh, feeling it this morning. I didn't have a good night's sleep last night, and we all know the reasons why. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, we don't really complain about it too much. I think we all know that come Monday morning after a Grand Prix, it's like, okay, don't expect me to be at all conscious until at least midday. Yeah, yeah. So, well, let's go. Uh, let's get started with uh, with you know knowing a little bit about yourself. Like, how did you get started uh, with Formula One and becoming? I guess I didn't know it was a job, but the stat man, the person uh, who just has everything. How how did everything start? Well, it started because I had. I had a girlfriend in the US who's now the mother of my child and um, I was in the UK and I needed a job where I was freelance. You know, I still had the chance to move back and forth between the two places. I couldn't be doing a nine to five at a desk somewhere. And um, I called the, the then US broadcaster, which was Speed Channel mm-hmm. at the end of 2002 and pitched them on the idea of hiring me as a statistician. And at that point, they weren't hiring for a statistician, and they didn't know who I was. Mm. Um, but I had previously telemarketed double-glazing windows down the telephone to people. So I'd learned how to cold call and sell a product that the person at the other end didn't want when they'd actually picked the phone up. Um, so I used that same technique to sell myself mm. to the broadcaster. And to my complete shock and astonishment, they actually called me back and asked for a little bit more detail. And then they said, you know, can you send us something in, in 24 hours? Um, I said, yeah, no, no problem. I can do that. Put the phone down and realize I have got nothing to send these people. I don't know what they want. I don't know what standard they expect. I don't even know what format it's supposed to be in. We've got 24 hours. Right. Okay. Let's, uh, let's wing this. Let's see what we can do. Um, so I threw something together and sent that to them. Um, had a look. And then I asked them to send me what they were using at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, went through it with a... A, you know, a Sharpie and sort of added um, corrections and stuff. It was back in the days when we used to fax things to each other. That's how yeah. long ago it was. Yeah. Um, and I faxed that back to them within an hour and said, there you go. I've, I've corrected all the things you had for the last weekend of 02, which was in Japan. And um, at the start of 03, they agreed to hire me. Frank Wilson, who was the, the coordinating producer at Speed at the time, agreed to hire me. But he said, I can't pay you very much. I can only pay you like 200 I said, yeah, fine, Frank, that's no problem at all. Because I didn't have any money anyway. And as yeah. far as I was concerned, it's like, wow, okay, I'm getting paid to yeah. watch Formula One races. This is fantastic. It was only after I put the phone down, I thought, did he mean 200 a race or 200 for the year? I didn't actually ask which of those he meant. <laughs> We're going to assume it was 200 a weekend. Um, and then I thought, now, now there's the horror of thinking, wait a minute, this, this is for real now. Now yeah. I'm writing stuff that's going to go on the air. So now we're about to find out whether I actually know anything. I might have been a charlatan this whole time thinking I knew what I was talking about when actual fact I'm going to be exposed as a fraud. Um, uh, So my first race was Australia 03. Uh, Fortunately, it went well. And and fortunately for me, I came in at just the point when Fernando Alonso um, was making his Renault debut and Kimi Raikkonen was breaking through at McLaren. And we went from the 02 season, which was very boring. You know, Schumacher won 11 races, had the title wrapped up by July, to 2003, where Alonso, you know, became the youngest man on pole. Raikkonen mm-hmm. became, Raikkonen won his first race. Then Alonso became the youngest winner ever. And uh, a lot of stuff happened in 2003. There was the fastest race in history where the youngest average age of a podium. Schumacher uh, broke Fangio's record for title. There was so much happened that year. Yeah. And it made me look like, wow. 
this, this guy's on top of everything. But in actual fact, if, I, if they'd hired me this the year before, we might have been shrugging our shoulders and saying, well, there's not much to be said. Yeah. Uh, so it was fortuitous that I came in at just the right moment that it made me kind of look better than I was, certainly at the time. Yeah. So I, I remember, because the, the, you had massive packages. So before each weekend, um, you email, I remember receiving... And also, again, they're just packages, and you had like, if we went to this race, the stats about this race, and who has won it, and if this person wins it, what does it mean? And and just like pages and pages and pages. Uh, I'm guessing that that evolved, but you you know, have you ever done work with stats before before F1, like on anything else, or how how did you how did you come up with just statistician? I had no qualifications in television. I had no qualifications in statistics and I didn't know anybody in Formula One, or at least they didn't know me. I knew who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it was literally a case of a fan who had talked his way in nice. um, and decided, right, I'm here now. We'll work out how to do this job. Now I'm here. Um, so in a way, not having that, quali- not having the qualifications actually helped me because I only concentrated on things that I found interesting as a fan. Mm-hmm. I didn't think, you know, here's an interesting algorithm that makes me look at like an amazing mathematician or an amazing statistician, but it's actually not really adding much to a television broadcast. I was focused on thinking, hey, if this, if he does this, this hasn't happened since 1970, you know, yeah. um, I found that much more interesting. And to be honest, that's how, that's been the philosophy of my entire career. You, you don't want to get too complicated with statistics. People don't tune into a Grand Prix to hear a, a, a statistical math lecture. Uh-huh. They, they will tune in and say, like, Max Verstappen is trying to do something that no one's done since, you know, Alberto Ascari. They'll, they can latch onto that, but they're not all that interested in, you know, Max Verstappen's standard deviation is better than any driver before him. Okay, that's, that's interesting, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you've got, to, you've got to kind of keep it simple. You've got to bear in mind that the audience are not math geeks. They are Formula One fans. So you've mm-hmm. got to say stuff that's interesting to them. And because I didn't have that necessarily, I, I had some math background, but not, not deep-rooted. I just kept to what would I find interesting if I was watching it on television. And that's the philosophy for the last 20 years. It's yeah. just, okay, if I'm watching at home, what do I think the viewer would find really interesting to know at this moment? Yeah, and and I remember back then you would whisper, especially when NBC Sports we had Lee Diffie, um, we had David Hobbs, Steve Matchett, and you would whisper to them every now and again, like, "Oh, this is a stat that would work right now." But you know, right now, what do you do? What are you doing right now for Formula One? Because I know every now and again to put something, and I know in your social media that I follow you, you'll be like, "Oh yeah, that was me. That was my stat." So how how <laughs> how does it work right now? Um, well. I don't have a direct line to their headset so much these days. Sometimes I do. Mm. I think the last time I did was in Austria last year with Sky Sports uh, when I could talk directly to Crofty, Brundle, Ted Kravitz, etc. Um, so I still do do that sometimes, but uh, more, more or less, I mean, I operate a service called Virtual Statman. Everybody calls me the Virtual Statman. I'm not the Virtual Statman. I'm the actual Statman. Yeah. The Virtual Statman is the thing I operate. You know. Yeah. Um. That's like calling Roger Federer a tennis racket. It's like we don't. <laughs> no, that's the thing he uses. That's not the thing he is. Yeah. Um. Uh, so I, I still operate that when the when the cars are on the racetrack. So they see basically they see stats that are relevant that come up on the monitor in the announce booth right at the moment they need it. So they don't really need to go looking for stuff. I will just 
offer it up on the screen in front of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes for the majority of the broadcasters, you know, not just Sky, but all of French TV, Austrian TV, and so on. So you work with, um, with many right now. You're working, you said Sky, French, like you, you work with a lot. Yeah, yeah, there's, um, there's about 20 altogether. Wow. Um, so, yeah, you can't, you can't avoid me. Um, <laughs> you, you, might not, you might not have known me until I started talking, but you yeah. certainly know my work. Yeah. Um, and also the lower third graphics that Formula One put in the world feed, mm-hmm. you know, those are written by me as well. Um, so that's, that's how my stuff gets on the air. And um, in addition to that, now that they've started, Formula One started using me a lot as a presenter um, at the track. So although you don't see me on the TV side, although I'm still nagging them about that part, yeah. um, I do a lot of the um, presentation at the track in front of the fans. Nice. Um, so uh, it turns out that the fans that we have, they're actually quite interested in the, the kind of historical elements that, that I know about. Mm-hmm. So far from tuning it out, uh, when I'll go up there, because I'll interview people, you know, like this past weekend in Miami, I interviewed Danica Patrick on stage. I interviewed Roman Grosjean on stage. I've interviewed Bern Mylander on stage, Crofty, Karen Chandock, lots of people. Nice. Um, but then I also do my own segment in front of the audience where I say, so guys, you know, look, look out for this today. If this happens, you know, historically, it leads to this, blah, 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 blah. Keep an eye. Normally, I'm the last person who goes on the stage before the race mm-hmm. because I want it to be fresh in their memory. You know, down is the turn one. Look for, you know, Alonso is going to get try and get super aggressive here because he knows Perez is in a championship battle, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's fresh on their minds for when the lights go out. Uh, and they're really receptive to it. Um, you might think that some people tune it out, but actually they are quite, in, they do get quite involved because after the whole weekend of sort of taking Instagram pictures and enjoying the hospitality and so on, once we get into the last hour before the race, now they're like, okay, now it's, now we're at the business end. Let's talk about the thing we've come to see. So, um, they, yeah, they find I'm quite useful for that. And I'm also about 100 grand cheaper than hiring Jensen Button. Yeah, that's, that's true. And speaking of Jensen Button and everything, have you been able to, to meet drivers? And how are they? I mean, I don't know if you can you know, write them out, but behind the scenes, what are the nicest drivers you, you've met? And maybe what are some divas that, that you know, are off camera, they're just like, mm. I've not really met, honestly, I've not really met a driver where I thought, wow. That guy was a dick. Yeah. I've never, I've never really had that. I think what you have to do is apply common sense to the situation. If you approach a driver, you know, when they're obviously busy or go or about to be busy mm-hmm. and you pester them in some way, well, obviously you're going to get a fairly short response. Just like if I was pestering you mm-hmm. right before you were about to go on the air, you'd just be like, just get out of my face. I'm, I'm about to do something. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, if you spoke to them an hour after they were finished, you're going to get a much more casual version, a much more per- person who's much more likely to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just got to apply common sense to the situation. Um, you know, I've in the past, I, I mean, I interviewed Michael Schumacher, I interviewed Lewis Hamilton in, in the past. When actually, when I was standing in for Will Buxton as the pit lane guy, oh, which nice. I did once. Um, so you know, I was right in their face with a microphone, and you know, I, I found them to be perfectly reasonable. Um, so you don't a- you don't ask you know asinine questions. Yeah, you know, ask questions that are actually interesting. Um, and make sure that you're well, make sure that you've done your research in advance. So you, they know that you know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, they're usually, they're usually perfectly reasonable. Um, actually the, the only divas I've ever really encountered are honestly, they're not drivers. They're usually, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when you deal with very, very famous people, mm-hmm. the very, very famous person is usually quite nice. 
but it's the ring of people around them, the bodyguards and all these handlers. They're the ones who are real dicks, right? Yeah, and I think we've seen, um, we've seen videos of what Crafty when he's do, doing the paddock, especially in you know in American races, and you have like the bodyguards and all this stuff mm-hmm. that are just pushing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's normally that middle ground. Well, that also applies within the Formula One circle. For instance, the drivers themselves are usually perfectly reasonable. Uh-huh. I know a lot of people think Lewis Hamilton, you know, maybe takes himself a bit too serious and all. But honestly, if you if you just if you sat down for a chat, he's pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, there's this mid range of people who go to all of the races. Mm-hmm. Um, who take themselves a little bit too seriously, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to name any names, um, but if anybody's listening to this and feels like I'm talking about them, I'm talking about you. <laughs> um, because, yeah, some of, them, some of them can get a little bit pompous and a little bit don't you know who I am sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I just think, yeah, we do know who you are. That's why we're talking to you this way. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's like, guys, we're not curing cancer. We're just following a lot of very, very rich people driving around and around in circles. Let's not take ourselves too seriously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and since, I mean, since you're the stat man, what, this year, how, how do you see this year? And are there any stats that you're looking at that you're like, oh, maybe we're going to hit, I don't know, this milestone that you've just been waiting on? or Because or, this year's been a little bit interesting. You know, probably a lot of Red Bull dominance, but I think, you know, some surprises in, in, in the order. Um, are you seeing anything this year that, that might happen? Well, I mean, first and foremost is the fact that Red Bull have won the first five races and the fact that they could, as of right now, have a perfect season, which, yeah. you know, no team has really done in the modern era. I know, like, Ferrari did it in, uh, what, 52, I think it was, when they won every race. Alfa Romeo won every race in 1950, mm-hmm. if you discount the Indy 500s of the years, because the, the Indy 500 was part of the championship, but it wasn't a Formula One race. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not been achieved since then. Red Bull could do it, but it's it's still we're a long way away, and there's still another 18 races to go. Yeah. Uh, that's more than what the full season used to be. So we're, it's very early stages there. Um, but then there's other obscure ones. Like I think um, without off the top of my head, I think if Max Verstappen the next Max Verstappen win will be the 200th Grand Prix victory for car number one in Grand Prix racing. Uh, so there's 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 minor stuff like that which might might amuse people on a yeah. boring race. Um, but uh, at the moment, uh, it, it does look like. Uh, the, I mean, no one, no one is saying perfect season yet. I've noticed that no one the, that that talk has not begun. Mm-hmm. We're way early, but that could happen. And even if it doesn't, Red Bull, the one thing they've never achieved in all their history, with all their titles, all their dominance, all the wins they had last year, the only thing they've never done is finish first and second in the drivers' championship. That they have never achieved that. Yeah. So. Uh, it's looking odds on at the moment that they'll finish first and second this year, and that will be the first time they've ever done it. So they will have, they will have, uh, they'll have no more mountains to conquer in Grand Prix racing. Really, um, uh, I, I don't at this stage. I don't see anybody. I don't see anybody finishing second in the championship. It's going to be Verstappen and Perez in either order. Yeah, yeah, and and continue talking about this season. Um, you know, what are your thoughts so far? Um, I don't think many of us expected Red Bull to be this far ahead. But you have Aston Martin and Fernando Alonso, uh, you know, just being pretty much third, if not maybe fourth in in, um, in Azerbaijan. But, you know, what are your expectations th- this season? Um, how are you seeing it so far play out? It's, I mean, the thing is, is there's a little bit of a, a mirage because, it, yeah, Red Bull are, seem to be far quicker in race pace. Mm-hmm. Yet in qualifying, the, the the gap becomes somewhat marginal. 
Um, in two of the two of the races this year, in Q1 in Bahrain and in Miami, Q1, it, all 20 cars have been covered by less than 1.25 seconds. That's incredibly close for the entire grid to be separated by that small of a margin. Mm-hmm. Now, you might say, yeah, but that's Q1. You know, the, the Red Bulls and the Aston Martins, the Ferrari, they'll go quicker in Q3. Well, if you look at the gap between the fastest times in Q3 and the slowest times in Q1, even then it's only 1.7 seconds. So you've got the entire grid at, at its ultimate performance set separated by 1.7 seconds. Now, remember, back in the 1980s, back in the good old days, as people like to say, yeah. you know, when Prost and Senna were winning 15 out of 16 races with that McLaren in 1988, at Imola that year, um, Senna was on pole, Prost was second, and then Nelson Pico was in third, and he was 3.3 seconds off pole. So the gap between first and last on the grid now in ultimate pace is actually half of what it was between first and third on the grid in 1988 yeah. in the so-called golden days when everything was so much better. Yeah. Um, so I've never bought into that idea that things were better in the olden days. I mean, I witnessed the olden days. I was watching them on television. I saw. I started watching in 1987, so I'm old enough to have seen all of Senna's titles and so on. Um, I can remember the first turbo era, if you want to call it that. Yeah. It's not, it's not necessarily better back in the day. Um, I think our tastes have changed slightly. We were more willing to sit in front of a television and wait and see if something would happen. Mm-hmm. These days, we're much more into instant gratification. You know, we need, we, we're slaves to our phones. You know, we can, we can be entertained within seconds. So we need the instant entertainment. So it, I think we've changed a little bit more. Than, than the grid, than, than, than Formula One has. You know, Formula One's actually got closer, but our need to be instantly entertained has become greater. Yeah. So we have these races like Miami, for instance. Miami, I thought, was quite a good race. I didn't yeah. think it was the greatest race of all time, but I thought it was a perfectly reasonable race. Um, it's quite a purist race. It was mm-hmm. one where strategy played out, and it was, you know, it's like, okay, I can get on board with this. This is not crash, bang, wallop like Australia was. Mm-hmm. Um, this is much more of a technical race. Um, but yet some people will say, oh, it's boring, you know, track boring in Miami. I, I didn't think it was boring at all. We had plenty of overtaking. We had um, more than 50 on-track passes. So that's a, that's a high number. Yeah. So, you know, swings and roundabouts on that one. Um, I think Formula One is actually in quite a good place. Unfortunately, Red Bull have something that's so good in race trim that really nobody else can hold a candle to them. And what, I mean, once everybody else figures it out, we might close the field up. Yeah, but by then, by then, I think they will have wrapped up both championships. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. All right, so to wrap up uh, uh, this interview, how can people follow you and and your adventures? Because I think um, social media, you, you post stuff that um, I think it's very, just very interesting and funny. Um, like I think you posted uh, this past week that you met Crofty for the first time, even though you've been working with him for a long time. You know, uh, so how can people just follow you? Because I think your account's just awesome. Well, it's very kind of you to say. I should say that you're referring to the pin tweet from Mexico last year. It wasn't the first time we met. Oh. We've, we've met. We've met plenty of times. Yes. But we've never taken a picture together. I oh, thought, okay, why okay. don't we take a We should take a picture together. Why have we never taken a picture together? Uh, so we finally did, and that's what I pinned up at the front there, just so people know when they, when they first look at my page who I might be. <laughs> um, my, my Twitter and Instagram handles are at virtualstatman. Uh, as opposed to the actual Statman, that's the virtual Statman, and I think it's quite amusing that I have about thirty-five thousand Twitter followers uh-huh. and only about seventeen hundred Instagram followers, which is, gives you a vast dichotomy between the amount of people who want to hear my opinion versus the amount of people that want to look at my face. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's a great face. I follow you in both, so I would say 
to everyone. Go ahead and follow both. Uh, it's going to be, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, thank you, Sean, so much for, for being on the show. Pleasure. Hopefully I'll come back soon. Wow, the end of that interview, Dan, I was kind of blown away because I never thought, and maybe it's like, I mean, we do this in American baseball culture, like you don't talk about the perfect game, right? And he brought it up. He said, hey, man, we don't do the, <laughs> no one's talking about the perfect season, but he's thinking about it because he thinks about all the times that it has or hasn't happened. And we're talking about like at the beginning of Formula One, 1950, 1952, when teams went quote unquote perfect when, you know, there weren't very many teams. And it was just pretty much Alfa Romeo and Ferrari. So is there a possibility of a perfect season for Red Bull? I mean, really, though. That was a super surprising stat. Um, and I hadn't even thought about it. But now that he's got that in my head, I'm like, that could be actually really interesting. <laughs> I mean, that would be a feat of um, just engineering and talent and management on Red Bull's part. So part of me is like, if we get 21 races in, 20 races in, they've won every one of them. Kind of like, well, I mean, at that point, you you know, probably obvious they're going to win the two. But I almost would be pulling for them because it would be pretty interesting for in our lifetime to see something like that to just absolute dominance. I think it's absolutely possible. Um, I I would not put my money on it because there's just it's a long season. Things happen, you know, parts fail, you know, rain hits. There's just so much uncertainty that like there's a reason why it hasn't happened for 70 years. So if it does happen, like that's uh, that's super interesting. And I'm glad that that Sean brought that up because it hadn't even crossed my mind yet. Well, and is that a massive failure then for F1 or is it just like this amazing amount of history that we're kind of seeing before our eyes? Are we not giving enough weight to what Red Bull is pulling off right now? Because what people are talking about with Red Bull is not the sandbagging thing of, oh, maybe we'll be able to pip them in the end. It's like, no, this team is far and away better than everybody else, like in every aspect, arrow, straight line speed, uh, slow, medium speed corners, everything. They seem to have it all down, and it's not getting really any, clo any closer, and everybody's just begging for there to be a gap to be closed during the time where, you know, this wind tunnel, this mysterious wind tunnel, uh, you know, percentage goes down and then suddenly they're like, oh, now we're going to catch up. But it just doesn't feel like that. Yeah. On the one hand, you want to give Red Bull all the credit and re respect the the domination. But if you're F1, you're going to like have to take a step back and say, OK, uh, we can't have this be the norm. If the norm is uh, just uh, a total imbalance of competition, that's not going to make for great ratings and good business. So I think they're already thinking that. I think there's already a... Uh, uh, a reconsideration of the regulations that's taking place because we're realizing it's just not as competitive as we thought it was going to be. So I think that's going to happen regardless, but uh, it would be exacerbated if, if Red Bull goes on to uh, go a, a perfect season and finish one, two in the standings, which Sean pointed out Red Bull's never done, even when they were dominant in the um, Sebastian Vettel era. Well, and, and one of the things that I actually, uh, let me let me turn into Statman here. Are you ready for this? The most w race wins <laughs> in a season for any team. Any guesses? Going to say Mercedes won maybe 17 races one year. So Mercedes won 21 races twice. Oh. Uh, right. Now, last year they were outdone because Red Bull – As this is as constructors, right? Now, this is just as the constructors mm -hmm. because – but again, these are years that, you know, we looked at and we were like, holy cow. Um, so you have 2022 where Red Bull did win 22 races, and that was the most in history. 
And so if they did that this year, they would match their actual total. Now, no one's gone perfect. The best that anybody's ever done is 92% in the modern era, and that was Mercedes back in uh, in 2016. So they won 90% of the races back in 2016, which, by the way, that means that they had even more races. I know we talk about the time where – now, that was my pre-starting to get into F1 days, but kind of just before – and, uh, and so you've had dominant teams. You've had dominant teams. We watched – we just got done with an era of, of Mercedes being uh, ridiculously dominant and somewhat boring for the sport, right? And so uh, I think that mm-hmm. all the things that we're watching kind of uh, uh, unfold here, uh, some of Sean's predictions of, of how things go and historically how stuff goes, it still would be insane for Red Bull, who are now 5-for-5 five five on the season – uh, for them to be able to win all those races. I think they're their worst enemy. I think if anything is going to happen, it's going to be um, along the lines of uh, Daniel Ricciardo and uh, and Max running into one another back in, I think that was 20, was that 18 or 17? Either way. Uh, yeah, back uh, in that era. So I think that, I think that the only way they do it is if because uh, I don't I don't see a lot of DNFs on the on the horizon either. But you know those for the first lap craziness. And if I'm one of these teams, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be totally honest, Dan. I'm gonna crash into Red Bull at the very beginning. I'm gonna pull a Michael Schumacher and just be like, "You're not winning this race." Yeah, uh, that uh, is definitely a possibility with you know somebody sneaking into the top ten. I mean, we used to see it all the time, like uh, Roman Grosjean. I mean. He, Roman Grosjean has uh, he used to have a different reputation than he does now. Yes. I mean, uh, uh, like kind of the newer fans know Roman from like the man who came out who of like the survived yes. the fire, right? Yes. But like before that, Roman was the dude that wrecked in turn one, <laughs> like every other race, right? And he was like, uh, he had real you know great nicknames around you know uh, crashing. So it's it surprises me that we don't have more incidents uh like that like i mean Austra- we had all the australia gp that was a little bit different because we were red uh, red flag restart cold tires you know all that stuff so um we had those that incident in turn 1 but for the most part and now i'm going to jinx it but for the most part <laughs> we're getting through turn 1 pretty cleanly throughout the the uh the field and i think maybe that just goes to the talent of the drivers or you know whatever it is uh, but it's always a possibility that, you know, Max gets plowed in from, you know, sixth runs into fourth, runs into first, and yeah. you get a pile up like we used to see a lot. Uh, yeah, I don't really care if I, I – like, I'm not going, man. Like, in baseball, you see a perfect game and you go, I don't care who this is. You know, if it's if it's Randy Johnson with the di- with the, with the Diamondbacks, then fine. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't care who it is. It's historic. Uh, but this one – to me, it doesn't feel like one that I'm really rooting for, even though I don't hate Red Bull. Uh, I just don't want to see somebody win. I don't want to see a team win. Maybe my mind will change when they're at 20 wins and they have two races left just because it makes things more exciting. But uh, I don't really care for a perfect season in F1, and uh, F1 fans probably shouldn't be huge fans uh, of that either. But uh, but here we are. We're, we're looking at so far five for five uh, for the Red Bull guys. Dan, an unusually long episode for us. Many thanks to Carlos Artiles Fortune, uh, our contributor here on Mode Push and uh, at KSL News Radio and KSL here in Salt Lake City, and Sean Kelly, the virtual stat man of F1, as well for joining the program. So, Dan, thanks for hanging out, man. And uh, I'm bummed we're not having a race, but still fun to chat with you. Yep, always a pleasure. Thanks. All right, there you go. We'll uh, be back again next week. We'll start breaking down Monaco of 2023. For Dan, I'm Alex. We'll talk to you next time, everybody.
Easy as pie, man.